Welcome, family. Welcome to Connect Church. If you are a part of the family here already, we're super excited to be together as always. If you're a guest here, we're even more excited that you're here because um, for me, it's, I don't know, it's a different thing. When I was growing up, um, I went to church maybe like three, four times in my life growing up. Um, and it was always something you just like suffered through until you were done. Like you went because grandma would get mad at you if you didn't do it. Um, and you just like kind of bore through it until you were through with it. Um, but for here and coming here and being a part of a family that's doing work on Sunday mornings, amen, that's, that's about making connections and connecting with God and, and learning something that you're actually going to put into use this week that's going to change you and change the people around you. It's a different experience. And so I get excited to come instead of just living through it and, and surviving it. Um, so we just got done with our series on being equipped. That's not the end of us equipping you um, for the work that God is doing, but it's, uh, we're moving on to another series for now. And this one is called More Than Words. Um, and we're going to talk specifically about faith. We're going to talk about three different words um, as we go through this week to week. But um, it's inspired by a song that, that most of you at this age probably have never heard of um, called More Than Words by a band called Extreme. Um, and Extreme is not the band you would expect to sing this if you know their work, that's a funk metal band, so it's, it's, it's a very soft song. It's a very tender song, and nothing like anything else they had done. And, and in fact, it's so different that when they brought it to the label, they said, we are not putting that on this album. Like, this sounds nothing like the rest of what you did. We're not going to do it. And they said, well, we're quitting the label unless you put it on there. That's how strongly they felt about it. And so they put it on there, um, and it, it was their biggest hit they ever had. And, uh, and it's amazing. It's so unexpected for a lot of reasons. It's a song you don't expect from a funk metal band. It's a, it's a song that is sung by a couple of guys harmonizing. And really, when you look at the message, it's something that all of us have experienced in a relationship, but you usually hear the girl say it to the guy. And not because guys don't feel emotions, but because we're not usually like eloquent enough to put it into words. Um, but it's, what he's saying is he's in this relationship, and he's saying... You're saying that you love me, but I would rather just see it. I would rather, like, you saying you love me doesn't fix all the stuff you've done in the meantime. And I've lived that. Again, I wasn't eloquent enough to say it that way. But when you go through the first, like, couple verses, it says, I'm not going to sing it. You're welcome. Um, but it says, saying I love you is not the words I want to hear from you. It's not that I want you not to say it, but if you only knew how easy it would be to show me how you feel. More than words is all you have to do to make it real. Then you wouldn't have to say that you love me because I'd already know. What would you do if my heart was torn in two? More than words to show you feel that your love for me is real. What would you say if I took those words away? Then you couldn't just make things new just by saying I love you. Right? And so he's like, I'm in this relationship and your fix is to just say I love you over and over again. Like you, you abuse me, you treat me wrong, and you say I love you like that's going to make it all better. He said, that doesn't work. I need a relationship where I, I like hearing that you love me, but I would love to be in a relationship where just by the way that you act is how I know that you love me. The things that you do all the time are how I know. You don't have to keep reminding me that you do because you keep looking like you don't. Um, and, and what we find is that a, a word can be spoken. You can say things, but, but because of today's culture, or because of someone's background, that it loses its meaning, right? And if you've been burned before, if when you've been in a really toxic family situation, and then come on, someone comes up and says, you're a real brother to me, sometimes that doesn't hit the way it does for other people, right? When you've been in a situation where um, you've, you know, someone has said they've loved you and abused that over and over again, then when someone else comes and says they love you, it just hits it a different way. 
And so Paul talks about in Corinthians, he talks about a time when, when the miraculous gifts that they're putting so much stock in, the, the speaking in tongues and the prophecy and all these things that they're really excited about. He says, all those things are going to go away in this church at some point, but, but what's going to remain are three things. And they're the three words that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. He says, when all that miraculous stuff goes away, what's going to remain is faith and hope and love. He says the most important of these is love, but all of them are important. They're the things that stay when everything else is stripped away. They're the things that, that matter, that last. And it's not the words that are so great. It's not that we say faith and hope and love over and over again. It's the reality of them. It's the, the reality of what faith does in our lives. It's the reality of what it looks like to live with hope. And most importantly, it's the reality of what it looks like to love someone the way that God loves them. And that's what's, that's what's going to remain. That's what's going to stay. So at Connect, we want to make sure that we're not just talking about these things, but they're actually happening in our lives, that we're, we're living by faith and we're living through hope and we're, we're sharing the love that God has given us. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about is more than words, more than just saying it, more than just singing it. Are these things present in our lives? See, when you're preaching and we've got, if you've got a bulletin, you've got notes in front of you, you can care, follow along if you want. Um, that have all the verses. But when, when I'm preaching, when someone's sharing a message of any kind, there's messages you want to deliver, right? That are, there are messages that someone speaking for God wants to deliver. There's, there's fun things to talk about, like how exciting it is that, that we have the love of God and, and how fun it is to be a part of a family. And, and there's the things that are easy to talk about that are cheer you on and rah-rah and, and we get excited about. And there are messages that someone speaking for God needs to deliver. There's other times where you look out and you see a need and you say, you know, you ask the hard questions like, you say you have faith, you know, do you have to keep telling God I have faith over and over again because your life looks like you don't? Or can God just look at your life and see that you have faith, right? Is it more than just words? And those are hard messages to give, but they're important ones. And you see this in Jude. There's a book um, in the Bible that's very short. Um, it's not even chapters. It's written by Jude, who is one of Christ's followers. And in verse 3, he says, dear friends, um, this is the expanded Bible, so it's going to give like the Greek word, and then it's going to give like some alternative translations for it. So, dear friends, my loved ones, my beloved, I wanted very much, or was making every effort, I was, I was just about to write to you about the salvation that we all share, our, our common salvation. So he's like, this is what I sat down and wanted to write about. I wanted to write about how we're all saved in this church, and that we're, we're, we're united in our purpose for God, and how exciting it is to have the salvation that God's given you. But he says, but what I felt the need to write you about is something else. I wanted to encourage, to exhort, to urge, to appeal to you, to fight hard for, to earnestly contend for, to defend the faith. And I want you to circle there, the faith, right? It's not just faith or a faith, it's the faith. And when the Bible talks about the faith, it's talking about something specific. He says, I wanted you to, to earnestly contend for, to defend the faith, the authentic gospel message that was given, that was handed down or entrusted to the holy people of God, his saints, once and for all time, right? And so when it talks about, when the Bible talks about the faith, it's talking about the real message of God as opposed to something else. Whenever he talks about defending the faith, he means that there, is, there are other messages out there claiming to be real that are not. And so we need to contend for it or to defend the real truth the real message, the, the faith that God has laid down and not this alternative view that someone else is slinging. So there's three things that Jude wants us to know about the faith. Um, the first one is that God calls me to discern and to defend the faith. 
right? To discern means to understand. He calls me to really understand the difference between the faith and anything else that someone brings me, right? So I need to be able to discern that. And he also calls me to defend the faith, not just to recognize it for what it is, but to protect it, to hold strong to it. Again, in that verse, in in verse 3, he says, I want to encourage you to fight hard for the faith. And the faith is the systematic teaching provided in Scripture. Growing up, if you asked, so times have changed a lot, right? In in America, when you, growing up, when you asked, um, you know, someone what faith they had, a lot of the answers were like, oh, I'm Methodist or Presbyterian or Catholic or Baptist or whatever. And now, a lot of times, if you hear, if you ask someone what faith they are, a lot of times the top answer is, well, none, you know, and then maybe you get Christian, Islamic, you know, Baha'i, you know, all kinds of, you name it. There's all kinds of ones that people follow, um, but all of them have some kind of central faith that they adhere to. So for the Islamic faith, you've got the Quran, which is, you know, words written by who they claim was their prophet. And, and that's where they go when they say, this is the faith for us, right? And then in, <clears throat> for Latter-day Saints, for Mormons, you've got um, their teaching derived from the Book of Mormon. And they say the Bible's okay, but it's incomplete unless you have these other teachings, the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price and all these different things that, that they add on to the Bible. They say it's not enough. You've got to have this other stuff too. And then the Christian faith, we derive our teachings from the Bible. We believe that what is found in the Bible is the faith. It is the real word, the real message that God intended for us to have, and that he passed it down to saints, to his followers, so that we could have it. Right? That's, what is, that's where we come, and we say that it is more accurate than anything that what man has come up with after. And so we've got to stick to that. That's what, what Jude is calling us to. He says what's in God's word is what we've got to recognize and discern and then defend and stay with that. Something that doesn't change day to day. Something that we don't have to worry if we believe that with all our hearts, someone's going to tell us something different and we've got to change that based on, on just something someone else came up with. This is something that's real and trustworthy. Um, and related to that, Point two that Jude wants to make is that God delivered the faith to us once for all time. He delivered it one time for all time, right? There's not continued more new stuff coming out. You don't have to wait for the new season of the Bible, right? Like it's, it's, it's just he gave it once and that's it. It remains unchanged. Going back to our verse, in, uh, verse three, it says, um, the faith that was given to the holy people of God once and for all time. It was handed down passed along faithfully. And, and when Jude is writing, the reason he, he wanted to write about salvation and everyone's salvation and rejoice in that, and the reason that he changed that to, let me tell you about why we need to defend the faith, is because at this point when he's writing, the gospel spreading out of primarily Jewish areas into areas where stuff that people who grew up Jewish would never have questioned are being questioned. Like, how many gods are there? Right? That's, if you go into a Jewish setting and you proclaim God, no one asks how many. Right? That's not a thing. And so they're getting these questions for the first time. You're getting questions about morality that no one ever asked. You know, in, in Jewish backgrounds, you were, you know, marriage was the thing. You, you, know, you had your husband and your wife, and that's who was together. But then you go into a culture where if you don't like the Christian church that you're part of, you can go to the Temple of Diana and part of the worship is sleeping with temple prostitutes, right? Like, that's just normal worship for them. And so when you go in there and you start talking about marriage and purity, and you share that there, you get questions where you're like, I have never had anyone ask that before, right? Like, I've got my wife, but what about all these girls? Like, no one's ever asked me that. No, that's not the right move, right? But no one's ever asked me that. And so Jude is coming in and saying, we've got to protect the message because it's real easy for this to get switched up. It's real easy when, when you go into these other areas for things to get asked and then 
compromised on that we never thought of dealing with before. In Revelation 22.18, it says, If anyone adds to what is written, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. You know, John emphasizes that this message, this, this once and for all time message is not to be messed with. You don't get to take the word of God and just make it what you want it to be because the life is at stake, right? Salvation is at stake. When you come and you mess with that, that's a really serious thing. If you went in and you just thought it'd be really funny to go in and, and you know, the, like, the seat back instructions in an airplane, right, that tell you what to do in a crash, you thought, how funny would it be if I went in there and I told everyone the opposite of that, Right? If I just printed out some, if I replaced all of them with instructions to say, no matter what, stay in the plane. I know it looks fiery and scary, but just stay in there, right? That would not be funny. Like, you might think it's funny, but that's a serious thing. You're messing with something that you should not mess with. And that's why he's saying you can't mess with this stuff. This is life and death in the, in the balance. And so you can't just come in here and say, well, I like this better. That picture of people running out of the plane is scary. How about this picture where everyone just stays there and looks calm? That, that would be more comforting to me. Right? That's not okay. You can't do that. You can't mess with stuff that's that important um, and that has that kind of consequences on the line. And finally, Jude wants us to know um, that if we're going to defend the faith, if we're going to be about the faith, um, then we've got to understand that Satan is determined to distort the faith, that there is an enemy out there who is determined to change this message, to take it from something that is meant to give life and make it into something that's about us that brings something else. One of Satan's main goals has always been to twist up people that are, that are in the faith. It's what you see when, when Jesus goes out into the desert. What does Satan do when he tempts him? He says, I'm going to take the scripture. I'm going to take these words from God. I'm going to twist them. I'm going to try to make them say something else. And then Jesus over and over again goes back and says, that's not what it says. That's not what that means. And he goes back to the faith. He says, I know the faith and I'm staying with that. Right? But Satan wants to take the people that are trying to work for God and move them over off the objective. In Jude 4, verse 4, it says, For some godless people have slipped in unnoticed among us, persons who distort the message about the grace of our God in order to excuse their immoral ways, and who reject Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. Long ago, the Scripture predicted the condemnation they have received. People will slip in and give you a different motivation than the motivation of following God. And it, you know, it, it sounds nice that you, you take one part of it, right? You take a verse, let's say, you know, this is something that's big, not just in the world in general, but I would say especially in Tulsa. What if you take a verse that says something like, God doesn't want to harm you, he wants to prosper you, right? And you take that verse out of context and you say, God wants to prosper you, so if you believe hard enough in God, you will be prosperous, right? You will have all the things that you want. You will have the promotion. You'll have the nicer car. You'll have the healing that you asked for, the physical healing that you asked for. All these things will happen if you are faithful to God. If you seek God with all your heart, then you are going to get everything you want in this world. And look how faithful I am. I've got three private jets, right? Look how faithful I am. I've got really fancy shoes and this nice outfit and this mega church that I'm a part of, right? And the people will bring a gospel like that. They will bring something that looks like good news. And you'll say, man, if that's what following Jesus looks like, give me some of that, right? That's what I want to be about. I want to have the life that guy has. But what happens is when you pull the covers away, because he changed, because he took something that is true and changed it into something else, it becomes not good news. Because guess what happens? Now, when your kid doesn't heal because they were sick, it's your fault. 
because you weren't faithful enough. When you don't get the job that you were promised by the, you know, by pastor, right? When you don't get the the promotion that you thought you were getting, it's because you weren't faithful enough. And now it's not good news anymore. Now you feel awful, right? Now you feel like it's all on you. And that's never what it was supposed to be about. The man that we follow, if you are a Christian, the man that you follow spent the vast majority of his life homeless and in the, in the debt of other, in the need of others, right? That's what the man who followed this religion perfectly got, right? Jesus had zero private jets, right? Zero had, Jesus had zero mansions. He had none of that. When people wanted to follow him, he said, I don't even have a place. I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight, right? That's what following me is going to bring you. And so if you follow that, if you stay to the faith, that's the faith. The faith says that in this world, you will have trouble, but have peace. God has overcome this world. And so no matter what happens to you in this world, you have a faith that's going to carry you beyond anything that comes your way beyond broken relationships, beyond messed up families, beyond hurts and insecurities, beyond our own failures, right? That none of that can shake you. That's good news. Amen? That's better news than you'll get this, this nice thing that you want in this world because all that can be taken away. And again, that's just sticking to you. I'm not making this up. This, you can find all of this in God's Word. God says, store up for yourself things in, in heaven, Right? Where, where no one can steal it and no one can destroy it. That's where we put our faith. That's where we put our treasure. And so if you hear someone who preaches a different message from that, you get away from that. Right? That's not okay. That's, that's leading to something that is not salvation. That's not life. A little bit later in Jude, in 17 and 19, he says, he says but remember, my friends, that you were told what, were, what you were told in the past by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, when the last days come, people will appear who will make fun of you, people who will follow their own godless desires. These are the people who cause divisions, who are controlled by their natural desires, who do not have the Spirit. You know, this warning about people coming in and distorting the message, you see it all over the New Testament, right? You see godless men that Jude talks about. You see uh, Matthew talk about wolves in sheep's clothing. In Corinthians, Paul talks about people masquerading like angels of light, right? Pretending to be angels of light, but really they're after something else on their own. He'll use the right words out of context and hide the words that complete the picture of God, right? He'll, he'll have a church saying, grace, grace, without truth, right? Or truth, truth, without grace, right? I've been to both those churches. I've been to places where you get all the grace and none of the truth, and you're never had a, held accountable for something. And I've heard people, you know, where truth, truth, and, and all about how you're going to burn without any of the grace of where God brings that, right? I've heard kindness without wrath, and I've heard wrath without kindness, right? It's a, either way, it's a message based on what people want to hear as opposed to what people need to hear and the truth that God brings. So how do we do this? How do we take, if it's so important that we understand what God's message is, that we can discern it and that we can defend it, how do we do that? Well, he gives us a few ways that we can do that. The first thing that we can do to discern and defend the faith, it requires that I care about the faith that I care about truth. If I don't care about truth, I'm not going to fight for it, and I'm not going to bother to know more about it. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul's talking to a, a group that, um, that he needs to know that, that someone will come in and try to destroy the church. He says, I need you guys to know that there's going to be others out there that are combating the truth, that are combating the faith, and that you need to care about it. And in chapter 2, verse 9 through 12, he says, he will use every kind of evil trick to those who are lost. They will die because they refuse to love the truth. If they love the truth, they would be saved. So all those who will be judged, all those 
will be judged guilty who did not believe the truth but enjoyed doing evil. That evil force and its representatives will try to destroy the faith by bringing in false teachings, right? And, and it's sneaky. If you don't pay attention, um, then you're going to miss it. And there's, you know, what I, I heard a story from an FBI agent who was in charge of counterfeit operations, and, and what they said over and over again is there will always be new fakes. You'll never gonna, you're never going to learn all the fakes, right? And I, I was told this, I was uh, really excited one time when I was early in my faith, and I said, I'm going to learn about all the other religions, right? I'm going to study every other religion so that I can identify which, like, how they're different from Christianity, and I can have an answer for anyone who's coming from any of these other backgrounds. And what I was told is, hey, there's always, there's a new religion up every day, right? You're either going to think you got all of them, and they're going to meet a Jedi, and you're not going to know what to say, right? Like, you don't know. There's always something new. But what you can do is you can learn about the truth. And that's what the FBI profiler said. He says, if you just learn about what a real bill looks like, then you'll know everything is different. You don't have to know all the different variations. I don't have to learn about every viewpoint in the world. I just have to know the one that's real, and then I can tell if it's not that, then it's not, it's not genuine, right? You just got to know what's real. You got to spend time, but you've got to care enough to know about what's real. You've got to care enough to dive in and see what's going on. In 2 Timothy 4.3, it says, the time will come when people will not listen to, will not put up with, will not endure, true, sound, and healthy teaching, but will find many other, um, gather around themselves, accumulate teachers who please them, who meet their needs and desires by saying things they want to hear, right? Nowadays, we call it church shopping, right? You, you go around until you find a preacher who says things that don't make you uncomfortable, and then you stay there, right? That's what, that's, that's, that's Second Timothy come to life. It's going around and just saying, I was uncomfy about that, I'm going to leave, Right? And I'm going to find someone who only says the stuff that I like to hear that's comfortable for me. But loving the truth always requires us to get uncomfortable. Loving the truth always requires us to get beyond ourselves, to say no to ourselves. Because at some point, you are not perfect. Right? Nobody in here is perfect. Nobody's claiming that. We're all on the same page here. At some point, if you are not perfect, you will run up against a truth that is different than what you want. Because you are not perfect, at some point you'll run up against something that God says is true that you don't like or that you don't want or that I don't like and I don't want. And we will have to decide, do I love the truth? Do I love God enough to choose what he wants as opposed to what I want? And what's really cool is when you make a habit of that, when you make a habit of saying no to the things that you want and saying yes to the things that Christ wants, Satan's tricks don't work on you. When you get in the habit of that, when that's normal for you, then you just accept truth all the time. You're not swayed by it because what does Satan play on? Satan plays on what we want, what we feel. It's why you can make the same dumb mistake 45 times. And I know because I've made it 46, right? I can make the same dumb mistakes over and over again. I can know exactly where that road goes and I can, look at, I can play it all out and I can say this will end in tragedy. This will end in a broken relationship and I can choose it anyway. Right? Because in that moment, Satan makes it look like that's the most important thing in my life to do that thing right now that I know is going to hurt me or hurt someone else. That's crazy. It's crazy that I can get to that mindset. It's crazy that I can know that something is the worst thing I can do and do it anyway. But that's how he plays on us. But what de defends that, what shields that, is getting in the habit, getting in the, developing the skill of saying no to the things I feel like doing if they're not the things that God wants me to do. 
It fortifies you. It makes it defends you from when those strong feelings come because you're used to saying that's a lie. And maybe I'm not strong enough to do that. Maybe I'm not strong enough to, to get past this. But I'm one phone call away from someone who is. Right? We'll get more into that later. But I've, I, can, I've, I know where I can go where someone's going to tell me that's a lie and, and speak some truth to me. But we've got to remember. We can't forget. We've got to remember. And so one of the things that we do to remember, because Jesus told us to do it, as we take communion every week. And what we remember in this moment as we take communion together is that Jesus said no to himself every time. And because he did that, we all have the opportunity to be saved. And so we're going to take the meal that he remembered, that he wanted us to remember, where, where we pass around bread that's been broken and we pass around um, juice that, that represents, that, that is, in Jesus' words, his, his body and his blood that he sacrificed for us, that the ultimate saying no to himself. So we've got it set up in the back. I'm going to take a break here. We're going to pray. Um, we'll take communion together, and we'll come back together and wrap up. Um, Father God, thank you so much for, for loving us and saying no to yourself over and over again, for sending Jesus into our lives, into this world, and, and showing us what it looks like to say no to our selfish desires and yes to you. Um, and Father, how blessed his life was, even though he didn't have the stuff that we try to accumulate, even though we didn't have the the worldly victories that, that we look for so often. Father, he had a relationship with you that he'd trade all of that for in a second. Um, and we would too. Father, guide our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if I'm going to discern and defend the faith, it's going to require that I care about the faith, right? Care about it enough to, to love the truth and, and chase after that, even, even if I feel differently. Um, if, I, if I'm going to discern, discern and defend the faith, it's going to require that I continue to study, that I never be done studying who God is and, and what God wants for my life, but I will continue to study. All of us start by knowing nothing, right? We, we learn everything we learn over the course of our lives. We're taught how to love, we're taught how to feel um, certain things by, based on the stimulation that we get from, from, from environments and, and relationships that we have. Um, and then we learn, and we continue to learn over and over again. And so all of us are just in stages of learning. We all started from the same place. In Acts 17, 11, um, Paul says there are some that learn better than others. And, uh, in 17, 11, he says the people in Berea were, were better than or were more noble than the people of Thessalonica. They were glad to listen to Paul's words. Every day they studied the holy writings to see if what Paul said was right. He said what stands out... What makes a person or a church stand out is their willingness to continue to study, to not just take someone's word for it, but to go back to the source, go back to the Bible and say, is this real? Is this really what God said? Is this in line with everything else, right? What did they do? They didn't go and, and figure out how is this different from every other counterfeit we've seen. They went back to the source and say, does this match the truth? Does this match the life that Jesus lived? Does this match the things that I see in God's word? Even in many churches right now, honestly, taking the view that we need to stick to Scripture can be looked at as critical and narrow-minded, right? Even in the church, you can get that, that response sometimes. But this is what Paul said, set apart those who were, who were earnestly trying to defend the faith. In 2 Peter 3.16, it says, um, his, meaning Paul's letters, contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other Scriptures to their own destruction. Right? Have you ever studied the Bible? So he says ignorant or unstable. So people that don't know are people who can't make up their mind on what they, what they want to do. 
Right? Have you ever studied the Bible with or been the person who sees something, they see something, they're like, that is true. Like, I know for a fact that is true, but I don't know what I want to do about that fact. Right? Like, I, I get that it's true, but I'm not so sure I care that it's true. Right? I'm not so sure I want to do something different because I know that's true. Right? I've been that. I've been that. I was that four or five times. The first four or five times someone tried to reach out to me, I was the guy who was like, I always knew what was true. Right? I could see you. You read it to me. I can tell, yeah, that matches everything else I've ever experienced in my life. I, I believe that that is true, and I just don't care because I'd rather do what I want to do. Right? I was unstable. I wasn't ignorant at that point because someone had educated me, but I was unstable. I couldn't figure out which way any breeze blew me you know, wherever it would go you know, because I didn't, I didn't have any foundation. I hadn't studied. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Study and do your best to present yourself to God approved, a workman tested by trial who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. If we're going to be a church that, that is going to go out and make a difference in people's lives, that can bring scripture to somebody in a way that gives life and is not you know, a burden but is a blessing, the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we study, if we're regularly in God's word and we're understanding where it comes from and we understand why Jesus did the things that he did, then you can bring stories to people that give hope. Right? Then you can give someone more than just words on a page, but a, but a life-giving story that talks about you know, why Jesus was at that well and why he was talking to that woman that no one else wanted to talk to. And then you go to someone who no one else is talking to you and you say, this is why I'm talking to you, because I was that guy no one would talk to and someone talked to me. Right? Because someone saw Jesus doing that and he passed that tradition down over and over and over again down the line. And that thing that happened with Jesus and that woman 2,000 years ago is the direct cause of us having this relationship. How cool is that? How cool is that that we can take something in Scripture and we can show how that gave life to me and now I get to breathe life into you? That's awesome, right? <clears throat> I grew up in a very loving home for our, for our immediate family, for our nuclear family, um, but there weren't a lot of other people around. I grew up, it was me and my brother, and that was really my whole social circle for most of my life. I didn't learn what it looked like to bring other people into your home. That was a weird concept to me when I first saw it. When someone you know, just invited a bunch of people in their home and I'd never been in there before, that was really weird to me because I was like, am I okay here? Am I allowed to be here? I know you invited me, but for real, like, is it okay? <laughs> right? That was strange, but someone modeled that for me. A lot of people modeled that for me. You know, I had church moms and church dads who, you know, who, who showed me, hey, I know this is what you grew up with, but for Jesus, everyone was welcome, so we're going to play it that way. We're, that's how our home is going to be. And that's what I got to learn. And so now, you know, my kids, my dogs, everybody knows, like, there's going to be random people in my home. That's okay, and it's awesome, and we get excited about it, and, you know, it may be on short notice, it may be, you know, something, again, someone you've never met before, and it's going to be a great time, right? And, and because someone welcomed me in their home, and it was like the coolest thing that happened to me, and so I'm going to do that too, right? Even if it feels weird for people, even if it's something they haven't been there before, been through before. I know, um, like when Ryan, I'll, I'll, when you came over for the first time, you know, Ryan's like, I feel, is this okay? Like, is this kind of weird? You know, like we had a bunch of people over and, um, and it's just, again, I, I could relate because I'm like, me too, right? Like, I get it. But it's okay because we're here and we're family and this is what family does. And I only know that because I studied the life of the people that were, were leading me, right? I, I paid attention to it. And so finally, what we can do to discern and defend the faith is I need to connect with the church. I say finally, I think I got one more, I lied. Yeah, I lied. Lying is bad, don't do it. Okay, so um, I connect with the church. This is, 
And, I, and again, this is very important. I connect with a church that is rooted in the Word, right? It's not just any, anything that slaps church on the front of the building. You need to be with a group of people that look at the Word, see what's true, and then actually do it, right? That's what you need. That's what we need to be connected to. There are seven churches listed in the, in the book of Revelation, and over half of them have fallen for some kind of distorted view of what the church is supposed to be, right? It's, it's not new. There's nothing new under the sun. Stop looking for your faith in your truth, your faith in your truth, and start looking for Christ's truth, the truth. Start looking for what matches what God says. Don't ask, am I comfortable with this message? Start asking, would Jesus be comfortable with this message? And then if Jesus is comfortable with it, I better find a way to get comfortable with it, right? Or at least to follow along even while I'm uncomfortable. In Jude verse 20, it says, but you, my friends, keep on building yourselves up, meaning you together building yourselves up on your most sacred faith. Our connection to the church is what protects us from justifying what we want and falling for Satan's lies. It is the voice in our, in our community that says, I know you feel like this is the relationship that you need right now. The last six times you chose it, it wasn't, and it's not going to be this time either, right? I know you feel like you need to buy this thing, right? But remember that time last week when you couldn't eat, right? Like this is not the move, right? It's, it's that voice that we have in, um, around us, that, that comforting voice that says, you know that, that time when you said you felt worthless? Remember all these times where God proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that you weren't. Remember that time God chased you down with everything he had. He sent his full might at you and, and he surrounded you with people. Remember that time someone sat down next to you and you had one friend when you thought you didn't have any and then all of a sudden you had 20 friends and you didn't know what to do with them all? Right? Remember that time that God chased after you with everything he had. Now tell me you're worthless. Which one of those matches up with the truth? Right? Your feelings that you're worthless or God's undeniable willingness to sacrifice his only son for you? Right? Which one of those is true about your worth? I can't always say that to myself. I am not strong enough in myself to recognize that all the time. And so I better have people around me that are. Amen? None of us are strong enough to, to be in a healthy headspace all the time, right? We better have people around us that are, that, that understand what the truth is, that have discerned the truth and are committed to it. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says, I want you to know how people who are members of God's family must live. God's family is the church of the living God. It is the pillar and the foundation of truth. The church is the place where people come in. Jesus said, the way that people will know what my love looks like is the way that you love each other, right? They can read the words, but they're going to need more than words, right? They can read the words on the page, but the way they're really going to understand it is when they see you sacrifice for someone else. When they see you loving someone, having the hard conversation, being willing to let someone else have the hard conversation with you and still be friends after, right? And still be the best of friends after. When they see that, that's how they're going to know what love looks like. When they see you give grace, when someone hurt you in a way where anyone would say, I'd be done with that person anytime. If, if a random stranger did that to me, I'd be done with them. If my friend did it, you better believe I'd block their number, I'd block them on all social media, and I'd never talk to them again. And they do that to you in the church, and you give them grace, and you overcome it, that's, that's something you just don't see, right? You don't see friendships survive that in the world. And when they see it, they're like, man, it's a different kind of love. There's something I haven't seen before. Maybe there's truth that's beyond the words that I've read so far. That's what's going to show them. And then finally, for real, number four, um, I've got to commit to Christ. 
This is the foundation that, that all the others rest on. If you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, you are susceptible to lies. You are susceptible to, to what the world is going to tell you, what Satan's trying to feed you. It takes a personal relationship with the one who is grounded in the truth. I need to commit to Christ. We need a Savior and a Lord, right? Not, we all like the Savior part. The Lord part is the part that gets uncomfortable. When he starts telling me to do stuff I don't want to do. But his lordship is what allows him to save us, right? You don't get the one without the other. The way that he saves us is by taking control of our life. It doesn't work without it. it you can't have the one without the other. In John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Not a way and a truth and a life. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I'm the only way there. And, for, and it says John 14, 6 again. I, I put it on the notes back there. Mike, what's the real verse? I think it's John 8, 32. Scratch out John 14, 6 on the second one. It's not the same verse yet. John 8, 32. Jesus said to those who believed in him, if you obey my teachings, you are really my disciples. Now, what is the opposite of that? If you don't obey my teachings, what? You're not my disciples, Right? You can't call yourself a follower of Christ and not do what he says. He says, if you do this, and this is the cool part, this is the lordship leading to salvation, right? If you obey my teachings, you are really my disciples. And if you will obey my teachings, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Because following Christ is what sets us free. Free from the stress of of being a victim to whatever I feel in the moment, right? How difficult and chaotic is it to be ruled by your feelings, right? How up and down is it? Some days I feel great about myself. Some days I look at myself and I'm like, we're doing all right, right? Like this is okay. But I'll tell you, there's plenty of days where that's not the feeling I get. There's plenty of days where I wake up and I'm like, I'm not where I wanted to be. I'm not where I'm supposed to be, right? Like this is not where I'm, this is not okay. Where I'm at, I look at the people around me and I see how far they are and I'm like, this is not okay. Where I'm at is not okay. And for that to be, to, to wake up in the morning and not know what condition my heart is in because it's guided by my feelings is terrifying. I spent so much of my life wondering if tomorrow I'll wake up depressed the whole day because of how I feel about myself or how I feel about my situation. That's a scary feeling, to go to bed not knowing what kind of day I'm going to have the next day, to not know, you know whether, whether my truth is going to be this, this destructive, this self-destructive pattern that I'm in, not knowing whether I'm going to be in a mood that allows me to treat my friend, friends with respect or treat my kids the way they deserve to be treated. That's a scary way to live. And what, what Christ says is, if you will follow me, then you will learn not to be enslaved to your emotions anymore, not to be enslaved to the things that people did, that you will be bulletproof, that when people throw stuff at you and people say stuff about you and people try to hurt you, that that will not dictate the, the kind of day that you have to have or the way that you treat others. And your kids will have that, that consistency. Your kids will grow up not wondering what dad they're going to wake up to that morning, right? And your, your husband or your wife aren't going to have to wake up wondering who they're going to get that day. And your friends aren't going to have to wonder, are they going to ignore me today? Or are they going to be there? when I need them, right? The, the, the way that you feel in that moment, the things that you went through the day before are not going to rule that anymore, that you can be free of that mess and that you can have a foundation and a truth that you can rely on and be steady and, and find victory in that. Jesus says, you, the truth, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
And some of us are struggling to find victory because we haven't surrendered yet. And we're still trying to do it on our own. And if we don't do that, then the rest of the stuff is going to be impossible. So that's my call to you today. Um, You've got a communication card in your bulletins. Um, We're going to pass around an offering bucket for our our members. Um, For our members, you know, that's our chance to give to the work that's being done. And and we're excited about that. We have a lot of really exciting things coming up that we can be pumped about. We've got um, this coming Saturday is going to be wild. This coming Saturday, we've got uh, Talk, Read, Sing in the morning, which is where we get to love on little kids that come in and, and, and are learning how to, um, how to love reading and get excited about that. Um, we've got a really cool opportunity. So this guy calls us up last week, or a couple weeks ago, and he says, look, I've got this business I'm starting up, and I've got these awesome inflatables, and if you will let me, I would love to come and set them all up for free. And it's just, it's just free advertising for me. So if you guys are, are you guys okay with me just setting this whole thing up? And we're like, yeah, that's all right. We'll let you do that. It's a sacrifice we'll make, right? Um, it's going to be an awesome time. It's a great time to bring your friends out to it who have kids or don't have kids or kids at heart. It doesn't matter. If you're not going to break something going in there, then jump around and have some fun. If you are going to break something, we got cotton candy and popcorn that'll be fun too. So... Um, Either way, it's going to be an amazing time. So you get to come in the morning and bless some little kids that are learning how to, how to learn how to um, be excited about reading. We get to come out in the afternoon um, and, and get to bounce around and have a great time with that. And then we're having a college versus youth uh, Nerf war after that. So you get to shoot little ch- your, you know, youth, you know, teenagers with Nerf guns. It's very fun, right? I, love, I do it for fun in the house all the time. Um, I highly recommend it. So either way, it's going to be an awesome time. It's the kind of stuff that we get to do because we give generously as a church, because we're excited about pouring into this, because honestly, we're all volunteers here, so we're all just kind of doing this together. So for our members, we're going to pass around some offering buckets to get the chance to give towards stuff like that. For our, for our guests, here's what we'd love. Um, instead of giving money, what we'd love is for you to fill out the communication card and let us know, you know, maybe, look, I'm, I've been a victim to my emotions. Look, I, I don't know what I'm going to wake up to in the morning. And I need some help with that. If you'll write that down, if you'll share with us what you need, that's all we ask from you. That's what we'd love to see. Um, and we want to, to rally around you and, and not just pray for you, not just say words, but give you something more than words, right? Give you, give you relationship, relationship with us and relationship with Christ that's going to rock your world in, in the best way possible. Um, let's pray. Father in heaven, um, so many of us have tried this life on our own. We've tried to do things the way that we figured out how to, and we ran into the same walls over and over again. Father, for me, it was, um, it was making self-destructive decisions over and over again. Um, Father, even though I knew they weren't the right thing, and, and you freed me from that. And I still do it every once in a while, but then you call me back home. I mean, you brought me to this amazing group of people who could rally around me and, and not look at me as someone who's got to be better than everybody else, but just a brother who's, who's learning and growing and, and loving me through that. Um, Father, thank you for that relationship, and I pray that everyone in this room would get to have that relationship with with you and and with others who love you. Um, Father, help us to be humble. Help us not to be proud of what we've been doing, um, prideful in the way that we go about it, but humble enough to learn from others, um, and most importantly, humble enough to surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.